We are very excited to have uh, Kurt Sterling from Youth Services of Telsa on the podcast today. Kurt, how are you doing? doing? Great. How are you all doing today? I'm doing all right. Just trying to read a COVID test result that I just got back, which is always fun, but I'm doing okay. Shaquanda, how are you doing? Besides COVID. I, I'm good. I'm. Uh, hopefully we can all see each other for some of this interview. Uh Ashwanda, you want to ask the first question? Yes. Mr. Um, Kurt, it's uh, awesome and a joy to be doing this today. Um, my first question is to tell us who you are and what do you do? Yeah, well, um, yeah, thanks for having me here today. Uh, like you all have already said, my name's Kurt Sterling. I've, I work here at Youth Services of Tulsa. We're an agency that work with, that actually specialize with working young people roughly between the ages of 12 all the way up to the age of 24. Our agency has a lot of different programs where we provide family counseling for individuals. We have uh, different programs, including the LGBTQ plus program. Also, we have a substance abuse program. We have our on-site adolescent shelter that's here. We have so many different programs. The program that I work in, it's called Health Education and Prevention. And in short, what my program does is we work with young people up from the ages of 13 to 24, where we, um, number one, we educate and assist them when it comes to sexual and reproductive health types of questions. We help them access services at local Title X uh, area clinics. And then we also um, work closely with expectant teens and helping them access prenatal services for their own health. Then the last part we do is we specialize and work with our YST clients, getting them connected to general medical health. So we just kind of a lot of different healthcare related things to just make services more equitable for, for people and accessing services in the age range that we, we work in with here at Tulsa. Those programs sound amazing, especially when that you do about health. I'm in the health field myself. Um, because I do have sickle cell disease. So learning more about health is always an honor to do for me outside of sickle cell. So what is the most impactful part of your career? Wow, that's a really good question because there's so many things that I've done over the years. So one thing I didn't mention, I've been here at YST almost 13 years now and I've always been in the same program. I um I'm originally from Kansas. I went to school at Kansas State University and got a degree in family life and community services, if I remember right what the name of it is too long ago when I went to school, but was I, I worked in uh, mental health with adolescents and young young people for like six years up in Kansas and decided to move down here to Tulsa because my sister lived down here. Um, when I moved down here, that's when I started working for YST. Um, so I've had a lot of different experiences in my life. Um, and, you know, impactful wise, I, I can't tell you how many times that I've worked with young people where they were scared. They didn't know what was going on because especially in the, the role that I'm in now and have been in the past 13 years, we've had a lot of young people that may have been in a sexual relationship where they are concerned about STIs. We've had young people that um, are concerned that they're pregnant because maybe they didn't want to be pregnant. Um, we've had young people that wanted to be pregnant and were concerned that they weren't pregnant. So the flip on that too. And we've also, you know, of course, have had plenty of young people that have been in 
um, situations like um, human trafficking situations or abusive situations where we've we've assisted and helped them in getting um, in contact with uh, places that could help them out. So I don't have just like one impactful story because I have several impactful stories. And, you know, the role that I'm in now is I'm the coordinator or program manager, if you will, um, of our program. And so I'm helping lead and helping supervise some staff that are doing the exact same work that I've always done too. So it's, so from that supervisor's role of helping them um, in each one of those cases when they, when they start working with somebody, it's amazing to watch and see a young person because, you know, generally speaking, there's a lot of people that want to help in this world. But when it comes to sexual reproductive health, there's not a lot of places to turn to, it feels like, I think, for a lot of people, because they don't know what, where those places are. And so we're a group of people at my, um, in my program that when somebody gets in contact with us, they know that they're going to get confidential services. They're going to be free services. They don't have to pay for it. We are there to not judge them. We're inclusive to all people. It doesn't matter how they identify. It doesn't matter the race. It doesn't matter who they are, we want to get them the best services as possible as we possibly can. And and that goes back to that equity piece is we want to make things as equitable as possible for all people. Doesn't care, doesn't matter who you are. It's a even, uh, even field for everybody. We want everybody to um, get those services. You are answering up just a bunch of my little questions over <laughs> here. I'm like, I might need to go back and find some more questions, but a lot of what you're saying is very important and true to what's going on around us. I see so much stuff on social media about reproductive health, sexual trafficking, and all of it. And just so great to hear a person talk about all the work that they do to help those people. It's really memorable. Like, I can't think of any other way to do things like this. Like, this is what it's about. This is what podcasting and having conversations is about. Um, so like you answered basically two of my questions back to back and they were like, can you tell us about youth services? Um, and then tell us more about your position at youth services. Um, so let's move to this question. What is one lesson your job has taught you that you think everyone else should learn at some point in life? That's uh, another great question. I think that everyone should remember not to give up. I think you know, everybody has different hardships in their lives and some may have harder ones than others. That's a hundred percent true. Everybody, but everybody has them. Um, and I think it's easy to, when you, you face adversity or you, you face a situation that you feel is really daunting and just a really difficult situation. It's easy to give in or it's easy to give up, but I think it's really important to, um, if you see something and you're having difficulty, keep moving on with it, even though you might be facing some roadblocks, try to find some other um, avenues to reach what you are trying to figure out, whatever that is. Um, Because I think that there are a lot of answers out there for us. And the big piece is knowing what resources you have and using those resources. Um, Because, you know, case in point, let's say if I'm working with somebody and it's about reproductive health. But if they bring something else up to me that's unrelated to reproductive health, 
I might still know somebody in the community that works in that area. And so even though I don't have the answer for them and they're having difficulty in whatever it is, maybe it's like homelessness or if it's whatever it is, I could then connect them to somebody because I work with a lot of different people in this in this community and can connect them to somebody else that can maybe help them out in whatever situation they're in. That is what a community is all about. Our population is the expecting and parenting adolescent family and personal and professional development. So we have all types of young people that come into the office that need different things. And what is that one situation or what is that um, perfect candidate for us to immediately say, oh, this is a Kirk and his group issue and this is where we need to send you immediately to take care of that as opposed to take control initiative who does you know does an excellent job at what they do but what is that how do we as an agency know which organization to shift our clients to first so we specialize working individually with young people so as long as they're of reproductive age is is how it's said we all know that everybody's different age-wise when they get into whatever reproductive age is for them. Roughly, it's around 12 years old, but you know, some people, it's actually younger than that, and then some people are older than that. And because we specialize working individually with young people, if it's a young person that wants STI testing, if it's someone that wants access to birth control, if it's someone that is concerned that they are pregnant and they want to get a pregnancy test. If it's a young person that is not sexually active, but they're interested in learning more about ways to uh, protect themselves when it comes to reproductive and sexual health. If it's a young person that is pregnant and has no other resources and needs assistance with accessing prenatal services, WIC services, or anything related to their pregnancy, it's that type of person. So we're, we do a lot of that individual work where it's us and that other person. Um, and where like a take control initiative, they do other work that's not geared towards an individual person. So, and they do amazing work. I'm not, that's not a negative. It's just that they're working with that. They're working with actually a lot of the, so we work really closely with Community Health Connection and the Tulsa Health Department. They're both Title X um, funded locations here in Tulsa. Our program is Title X funded also through the State Department of Health here in Oklahoma. And so when we assist young people with accessing services, we, we, we help connect them to other Title X clinics, which are Pulse Health Department and Community Health Connections. And then that's where they receive their reproductive and sexual health services as, is at those two locations. And that's where, and it's not just us connecting it to them, but it's also that education piece where we make sure to have a conversation with each young person as comfortable as they are. We, we, a hundred percent don't force them to talk to us if they don't want to but you know we truly build a, a good rapport with almost every single young person that we do help and they are very open with us and that's where going back to your impactful question i can't tell you how many times we've had a young person that's contacted us we've helped them get a service they end up finding out they're positive for maybe an sti and then it's the question of like, how in the world do I tell my partner about that? Or I'm afraid to tell my partner because my partner has, has been abusive to me. And so it's, we're there as an advocate for them through those, um, through those times of trying to walk through them, maybe doing a safety plan with them if they need a safety plan. 
or it's um, just trying to find ways to do whatever they need to do. So we're there. I don't like to say holding hands because we're just there as support for them because they know they could trust us and we're there to give all all of us to them. Kurt, our listeners are going to be young parents, grandparents, older adults. For the purpose of clarity, can you explain Title X, what a Title X uh, organization is for anyone that's listening that may not have ever heard that term or not understand what that means? Absolutely. So Title X Family Planning is a, a national mandate. And um, what that is for, it's for anybody of reproductive um, age. So it doesn't matter if you're 12 years old or it doesn't matter if you're 65 years old. Anybody of reproductive age can access a Title X funded facility for um, reproductive health. Um, it, the reason why Title X is around, it's because it allows people that are lower income to be able to um, access those services without insurance. Everything is paid for through the Title X grant, or at least it's sliding sliding scale if a person does have an income, but it's not a, a high enough to meet the top end of that um, income bracket. Then it's a small small little fee. But it's it's in it, the reason why it's there is for all people. It doesn't matter if male, female, or or however they identify. It's for them to access those services, and it's very it's where they can get all of those reproductive health services. I'm trying to think what else would be something to add on that. So each each um, here in Tulsa, there's only two clinics that and I already mentioned them: Community Health Connection and Tulsa Health Department that are Title Ten funded. And then we're a sub-grantee through the State Department of Health here in Oklahoma, and we receive money, money from the State Department of Health, too. Actually, they, um, we're grant-funded through them because they want us to help uh, locate and find young, young people up to the age of 24 um, so they know that there are Title X clinics out there for them to, to receive access um, for all those family planning services. So that's where, if anybody is listening to this, and they do want to um, access services on their own. It's really important for them if they contact the Tulsa Health Department or Community Health Connections to ask for family planning services. And, you know, part of the, my role is not only do I supervise um, my staff, but I also work directly with people that, people that have penises. And I work with them with accessing services. And so... A lot of people, especially people that do have penises, they don't realize that family planning services are for, for them. They think that it's only for people that have vaginas. And so that's a, a part of the work that I do, too, is helping um, them access those reproductive family planning services. Because quite honestly, family planning services is a, it's a name that not a lot of people understand. It doesn't exactly tell you what you can get. They don't realize maybe that it is for STI testing also. They don't realize you could go there for a reproductive health annual exam. They don't realize that it's a, it's a, a name. It sounds like if somebody sees the name family planning, it means that you do want to have a baby. But it's also for people that aren't ready to have a baby and they want to maybe have birth control or they want to just talk with somebody about what are some ways to reduce the risks of pregnancy. So I hope that answered your question. A little long-winded. Yes, that is a ton of information that we all needed as a community to push out to our listeners. And I have a question. How can we further develop our partnership with 
youth services? I think there's always a place for us to improve any relationship that we have. And I think it's always important to continue to build those relationships. And that's with anybody that I work with. And you all do amazing work with parenting teens and young adults. And that's where my program, because we do work with parent, well, we work with expected teens that will soon be parenting. It's getting them in contact with you all, and we can continue to build that those bridges. And then the other piece too is as we work alongside each other, because we all have our own different relationships in the community, you all might have a relationship with somebody that I don't know about and vice versa. And so that's where we could tag team with each other. And if it's relaying a professional relationship, letting you know about another person in the community that that you all would probably do really do great work with. It's letting you all know about that. And also come like client wise too. If if you feel like you have a good client for me or vice versa, if I feel like somebody that could really utilize your services, I think that's where we could continue to always build and uh, make things better. Listen, I'm going to tell you being with James E, I think I know what my career is going to be. And I'm just be all over the place. And she, Alisa don't like that. She don't like that. But, I see myself in each and every one of these positions because she put me in these positions to succeed and I like each and every one of them. So I'm just going to be the messenger. Can I jump in again? Because you said something that I, as a grandmother working in this field, don't even, had not even thought about. And as a person with a vagina, I know what reproductive yearly exams look like. I know how to tell my daughter when to start doing X, Y, and Z in order to care for her body. But when do I tell my my grandson that? I mean, is there a, a magic number where I can say, son, you have a penis at age 18. We should be asking the doctor this about your reproductive health. And because we don't get a lot of men who are willing to really engage and participate, what information do we need to know to be given to these young fathers and men about their their personal health? Yeah, that's a really great question. And, you know, I'm definitely not going to have the answers to all of those questions because it's a really complex situation. I think the first thing I would have to say is at what age or whatever. There is no magic age. What I am a proponent of is early as possible, um, start having conversations. And so that means if it's a five-year-old, have very age-appropriate conversations, especially using medical terminology for body parts. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of using like slang words for body parts, like call them what they are, making sure that they know what those are. Uh, know what safe touch is, know what is appropriate touch, and then move up as they get older, just continue to have conversations with them and and always find places to have conversations with them. I think a really um, a, a, a place that people can use uh, to their advantage, I, like if you um, talk to people and they, they say like, what are some negatives in in our society? Sometimes they bring up media, right? Where you like a person as a parent or a grandparent, they could use that to their advantage. If they're watching a movie, if they're um, listening to a podcast like this one, if they're see a TV show and they see some type of sexual situation that takes place, either positive or bad, 
take that as a talking point and talk to your young person about that. Age appropriate, of course. So like if it's a teenager, talk about what you see in that movie clip or talk to them what you just watched on TV and talk about what are some of the positive things, what are some things that you see about a healthy relationship that you saw in there? What are some things that are not a healthy relationship that would be maybe better for you? Um, and then also, we all are different, right? And so what's um, important to me or what is special to me is going to be different for other people. Maybe it's because it's culturally, is that way, maybe it's religiously or whatever it is. Um, keeping that in mind too, that um, everybody has their own values. Everybody has their own beliefs and make sure to share those with your young person, but also allow them to have the space to have their own also and be open about that and let them know that you're there to help them and not be a roadblock to them. Let them know that you're there to listen to them, um, and help them out in those situations and not, um, don't uh, blow up on them if it's something that you don't want to do. Um, what was the other part of your question? I'm so sorry. Oh, no. Well, and I have, Jesse tells me one question at a time and my brain starts moving faster than, you know, my mouth starts moving faster than my brain. But I'm thinking about we as women or we as people with vaginas, once we start having children, we know that there's an annual pap smear. There are annual things that go along with that. What are those things that we can do to make sure and encourage our men to be going into the doctors and checking on as well? Um, I think where that's where we could start with that is just making doctors a good thing for men to go to, people with penises to go to. I think in our society, and I think this goes across a lot of different cultures, when a man goes to a uh, doctor's visit, it's a sign of weakness, when in fact, it's the opposite. It's, it's you taking power over yourself. It's you being empowered to not be afraid of what you find out. And, um, and it's not even fear of what to find out. I think it just, it, it's always been a sign of weakness for some, some people. And so, again, that's, you know, starting at a young age, talking, talking to your son or, or your grandson and talking to them about going to the doctor is a very normal thing. If you don't feel good, don't be afraid to go to the doctor and start that positive talk at a young age. So then it's a normal thing to them. And, you know, in hopefully moving up as they grow up, they realize, you know, this is just a normal thing. And then annual exams, of course, are a little more complicated when it comes to that person with a vagina just because of um, biology. But even with, even with people with penises, annual exams are important too. Part of that is testicular exams. Yes, I, I'm always a proponent for uh, men to do their own self-exams at home, just like women should do their own breast exams. But also with a, an annual exam, that's something that's going to be done. And testicular cancer is something that's very highly treatable but you have to know that you have it first. Um, and so again, that's if, if you're not afraid to go to the doctor, you're going to get that checkup. And then another piece of that is the advocacy piece to be a self-advocate for yourself. And an example of that would be, you know, let's say I go to the doctor and he gives me my physical, but I'm concerned. I'm at the age, of, I'm getting closer to prostate, <laughs> prostate health, right? I'm getting up there. So when I, a few more years, I'm going to start asking for a PSA to, to check my PSA score. 
because of prostate health. Well, medical world, they sometimes don't start PSA testing until the age of 50. I'm going to push really hard when I'm 45 that I want to have a PSA to start my groundwork on what my numbers are so I can follow them as they go through because prostate health is really important. So that's an example of self-advocacy, even though my doctor doesn't want to do that or isn't even looking at doing that. I need to speak up for myself and ask for that from my doctor, whoever you're seeing. That is amazing. It is interesting to know all these things because I have a son and he is constantly um, growing and exploring. And he asks me about my body and I told him mommy has a different body than him. And I've gotten to the point where I told him that no one is supposed to touch his private. So I tell him no private, no face. And when I say no face, I mean, no one should touch your face and no one should touch your private because those are the most sacred things that you need in your life as you grow up. So just understanding a male's body um, from the time they're five to growing up is something that we all need to know. I have brothers that has not seen a doctor in their life and they are well under the age of 24 and I'm going to send them over to you <laughs> because you they need... They need to know this stuff because why not? Why not be a force of changing the outlook of being in the doctor as a male? That yeah, and I think a lot of, I, and I think a lot of times in reproductive health world, I'm sorry to say, but I think a lot of men put it on the female to to be the responsible one for for instance, um, because they feel like maybe. Only women can be the ones that get birth control or, or there maybe a, a guy thinks that, you know, it's just something that it isn't for them. And so, you know, a lot of that responsibility does go on the person with the vagina or the, the woman to, to start that conversation with the healthcare provider. But, you know, we all know that in some relationships, men are involved in it too. And they're definitely a piece of that and they need to own up and be seen themselves. I'm going to just say this is why women work with girls because we have to make all the decisions for the men. They obviously <laughs> don't even want to take care of themselves. I'm sorry. You got to do better. You well, got to do better. I, well, and I have, I mean, to tag on to that. And as I'm thinking through this, you know, as a woman, we go to the doctor. They teach us to do self-examinations. Our mothers talk to us about self-examination. But what about those households where there isn't a father present or the father present um, isn't doing the best job they can do to take care of their own health? How do we, I mean, who teaches a young man how to do a test, testicular exam, self-exam? Who, who does that? Do I send my grandson to you, to you, Kurt, and say, hey, they have some people there. Go go learn about this. How do we normalize this yeah. conversation? Yeah, I, you know, I think a, lot of, a, a large part of that can be helped out in our schools and provide education here. And specifically, I live here in Tulsa, so I'm going to talk about Tulsa. And Tulsa is doing a, a, a better job at this, where there is sexual reproductive health education that takes place starting at least in the seventh grade. And that could be a piece of that education of like, how do you safely um, do self exams or how do you safely know what's right and what's not right with touching your body and, and whatnot, what's healthy. So I think that's a piece that we're already starting to go down and, and getting some help with here in Tulsa is through our school systems, because I think 
generally speaking, most people are enrolled in the schools. And if they're receiving that education, even if they're not getting it at home, they're at least receiving it from somebody that specializes in doing that education. I know I work with a lot of people, both here at YST and then also the Tulsa Health Department, have education teams that do education in our middle schools and, and high schools. And they are very, they know a lot. And their education that they provide to, to all young people is very comprehensive. And they talk about a lot of that stuff. And then if they get um, questions brought up to them, they can answer those questions too. So I think that's a really good starting spot. Also utilizing your, your resources around you. So if you have a really close relationship with an uncle or if you have, it doesn't even have to be same sex, I guess, necessarily too. But if you have somebody that's a family member that isn't afraid to have that conversation with them, even though you might be a little bit um, not comfortable with it, utilizing that resource as long as you feel like it's a safe resource. And then, like you said, if they're between the ages of 12 and 24, anybody could, as long as you live in Tulsa, there is no formal referral resource, or there's no formal referral process to get involved with my program. All they have to do is call or text one of my um, coworkers in my program. And if somebody just needs somebody to talk to about how do you uh, properly do a testicular self-exam, it's definitely somebody I can meet with. And then course, we're not going to, we'll be using you like a demonstration demonstrator type of, uh, it's like a rubber testicles that have like one side, the normal side, and the other side has little knots on it. And we talk about what are some of the um, things to look for, you know, are there any tender or sore spots on your testicle? Is a, a testicle larger than what it used to be? Or do you feel any hard knots or lumps on your testicle? And then if you um, feel like that's a concern at some point, go to the doctor immediately and get it checked out. Most likely it's going to be nothing, but you at least know when you find out if it is something. Um, is I there, think this is a lunch and learn, Miss Elisa. I think we need to bring I, Mr. Kurt for a lunch and learn. I, I was thinking that, but I'm also thinking like, is there a virtual curriculum that we can partner with you guys where you can teach parents or mothers and, and parents in general, what they should know about the reproductive health of their boys. Because so many, you know, at this point, yes, our target population is 24, but we have clients that we've had for as many as nine and 10 years. And some of our parents are um, parenting children who are third and fourth graders now. Yeah. And so getting them that vital information now it is important. So that's that's maybe one way we can work on our partnership. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's always I think that's always there. There's always a, a need for that. Um, you know, another part of what my program does, we do group education. We're responsible for most of the HIV education and the TPS um, high schools, actually, with all 10th graders, but also we do other group education related to what they uh, a group wants to talk about. And a piece of that is um, I actually do a how to talk to your teens about sex class. We do that with our, it's, it's one of our programs here in YST, our MAP program that works with, with first-time offenders going through uh, a six-class course. One of those classes I usually teach the parent or grandparents and do some education on how to, how do you, 
have a positive um, relationship with your young person with talking about sex geared towards teenagers while the the young people are in the other room receiving reproductive health education from our uh, sexual health and awareness group. Um, same thing, um, we do that in other areas, other places here in Tulsa too. If somebody um, just needs somebody to come in to talk about how do you um, safely and openly talk about sex with your teenager, um, how to have that type of relationship. I I do have my own curriculum. It's not like a uh, scientifically studied curriculum, but it's definitely um, something that we already do. And I'm always open to seeing and building on that. Or there might be other organizations in Tulsa that would want to grab that and run with it too that we could partner with also. All right, all right, all right. We are on the road here. This is a, a great conversation. I do want to ask, what what is some advice you can give being in a leadership role? Oh, good question. Some advice for um, being in a leadership role? Um, I think number one, care and res- respect for your staff. Making sure that just because you're maybe in a leadership role over someone else doesn't mean that you're any better than them. Uh, that their opinions and their thoughts are just as important as your own. And especially if it's a situation where they're the ones actually doing the work, that's important. And, you know, that, that's, that truly is a, a key thing is making sure to listen to your staff, letting them have their own um, specialties, like what they're excited to do, let them work on those. Um, don't micromanage them because, and let them, roll with what they um, want to roll with um, and be their support for them. So um, if they, what I mean by that is have an open door, open ear, where if they ever want to talk to you about anything regarded, regarding their job, know that, make sure that they know that you're an open person where they can come talk to you, no judgment, and try to find solutions. And if anybody ever does make a mistake, it's all right. Everybody makes mistakes. It's a learning opportunity. Um, and where do we move forward from that? And what can we do different in the future? So open communication is is vital for leadership and open ears and being able just to have positive conversations with people, I think is truly important. And, and Shaprinda, those are leadership characteristics that whether you're leading your family, whether you're leading at work, leading the church group, leading the Young Parent Advisory Board, all of those are applicable. And that's why we do so much work around strength finders and understanding who you are and understanding the strengths and talents of others so that you can set them up to, to shine in those areas that are, are natural for them. So yeah. great question. Yeah, I, I feel that. I feel that's where I'm coming from, being in <laughs> this leadership role as well. It's like I'm being very open to everything that is around me and understanding it for what it is and knowing my place and who I am in this position. Uh, what is your most memorable moment of your career, Mr. Kurt? Most memorable? Oh, my goodness. Ah. Maybe doing this, who knows? Um, <laughs> that's I, I, honestly that's so great of a question. I it is that's a hard one for me to answer. I would really have to sit down and think about that because something's not popping right out right now. Well, we're gonna. This is a really time. memorable moment. I might go with this moment right as we're as we're talking right now. This is a pretty good one. 
awesome. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm happy. This is great. So we we want to know, I want to know, what is your top priority for this year, 2022? I think first and foremost, you know, I want our program to continue to make things as equitable as possible and keep working towards that equity here in Tulsa. I think we all, we can't have a blind eye to what's going on in Tulsa. And I think there's a lot of positive movements towards equitable um, uh, services. But I, you know, I want to keep continuing and moving towards that. The way that my program has an impact on that is not only individually and making sure that each individual that we work with receives the services that they they get. My program is also considered, uh, quote unquote, the uh, secret shoppers of Tulsa. And what I mean by that is because we access Tulsa Health Department, we access Community Health Connections. Their leadership is also always interested in what we experience because we're on the ground floor entering those services and they want to hear what's good, what's bad. And so we work in close relationship with those two two organizations with making sure that services are more equitable, making sure that, especially when it comes to teenagers, that teenagers have good access to family planning services. And then just generally, another piece is making sure, another piece to what you asked is making sure that to get the word out about where they can, where young people can go for family planning services. We've, you know, just last year, we actually, my program did a, a small little study with those that we work with. And we asked them where it's, we asked a group of people that we're not involved with, but we had connection with. We asked them um, a series of questions. And one of the questions was, can you tell us where you can go for your reproductive health services? And a lot of them had no idea where to go. We looked at where their address was and compared it to where family planning centers were located here in Tulsa. And a great number of them lived within a mile of a family planning service. And so there's just no knowledge of where can people go for family planning services, especially for teenagers, because with Title 10 of reproductive age, everybody has the legal right to access Title 10 family planning services, even without parental consent or legal guardian consent. Now, best case scenario, we want parents involved with the young people and we want parents involved in those decisions. But we also all know that there's some situations where maybe a parent can't be involved and a young person still wants to access those family planning services. If a young person knows that they could go to a Tulsa Health Department or a Community Health Connection, or even um, if they want to go to Planned Parenthood or Morton Health or wherever it is, a lot of those places could still help them out. And so having make sure that they know where those locations are, I think that's a yeah, goal that we're always working towards. And then I think uh, one last goal is always working towards that self-advocacy piece, making sure um, I want young people to realize that they are they have that power to make their own choices and they have the power to do what's right for them and empower them to, to move towards whatever, whatever that is for them. And it doesn't even have to be reproductive health or it doesn't even have to be health related. Just empower young people to know that they are very special people that can make a huge impact on this world and empower them to, to work towards whatever that is for them. That is great. That is great. I know for me, myself, since I do have sickle cell disease, taking control of my health 
has been the best decision that I ever could have made for myself. Um, and that's with being learning about sickle cell disease, learning what sickle cell disease can do to the body, how does it affect my body, how can it affect other people's body. So I understand where you say make sure people have that self-advocacy because if you're not advocating for yourself, you will not have someone to advocate as well for you. They do not know your body the way you know your body. And that is very important for all of us to know our body because when you go into these medical places, they are going to try to tell us things that are not right or things that we already know of ourselves. But we want help to know what can we do differently or what can we do better to change what's going on within ourselves. So it is important to have that self-advocacy. Um, I had to really get on myself about advocating for myself. There was been times where I went to the ER where I had to literally allow the doctor to give me, excuse me, to give me something, give me a medicine that didn't work for my pain. And that's when I had to advocate, like, listen, this medicine is not working for me. We have to change it. Uh, I just recently told my doctor, the medicine, it doesn't make me feel good. And I know this because it makes me feel down and out throughout the day. And we had to figure out something different about it. So instead of taking it in the morning, I, I take it at night now. So I can weather whatever it makes me feel throughout the night versus the day. So just advocating for myself and letting the doctor know, like, hey, this isn't working. Let's try something different. That has been the biggest thing to overcome with being in the medical field all day, every day. So it's just, it's very important for advocacy, very important. And that's what I'm here to do is advocate for others too. Well, and that's one thing that we work really hard as an organization to do is to teach these young people that the people in the different medical professions and different fields are actually working for them. They're not providing any special favors or anything. They are providing a service. And in, in most cases, they're being they're being paid for that service. So our clients have the right to ask questions and to really speak up for themselves. So oh, you can yeah, absolutely. Your doctor and, too. Yeah, and our providers are, are, are truly experts in what they do, but they can't fully help you out unless if they know the whole story. And so... If they don't know the whole story, they're just going off of what's in a textbook or they're going off of maybe someone else that they helped. But if they don't know what's truly going on with you as a person, that's where they could that's where they can give even more. Um, and so not being afraid to speak up or not even being afraid just to step in that door. Like walking into that door is sometimes the hardest part. That's my program. We'll walk in that door with them just to help them out if that's something that's getting in the way. But it, it, you know, just that first step is a huge thing. And then the next step is having a conversation with that front desk worker. And sometimes that's really hard because you don't know what to ask for exactly. And that's where, again, even though you don't know what to ask for, say what you could say in what you want. And they could maybe move you to, like, they'll put you where they need to, where they think is what fits you best is important to just don't be afraid to, to speak up for yourself. Yes. So I was a part of the transitional living program. And I know I took a couple of classes, maybe Thursdays, right next to the OU clinic and um, yep. 
what what re- other resources like classes do you provide through your health services? What other classes do we provide? Um, well, through our health services, um, if we ever have um, a group of people that want to get any type of education regarding reproductive sexual health, um, they could just contact me at YST and say that that's something that they're interested in and we can make that group happen. So if it's, um, if there's a church group that wants someone to come in to talk about reproductive health, or if it's, uh, I don't know, just any, any group of people that need somebody to come in and talk about it. Um, that's something that they could reach out to us and we could see what we could make happen or if I could, or I could at least get them in contact with another group of people that can maybe do that education too. Um, and then, um, it's, you know, it's just finding those opportunities for, for education to take place. Um, right now we're still living in a very COVID world, sadly enough. Um, Mm -hmm. and so some of those opportunities are a little bit more difficult, um, currently, but hopefully, um, when things um, hopefully get better here soon, um, it opens up the possibilities for more educational opportunities. Can I jump in, Shaquanda? Because we're we're coming up on an hour. And I want to go back to something we talked about earlier because I think it is important. And then I also want to ask Jesse why he's been so quiet because he he has been very quiet today. But, But my question is, post-COVID or pre-COVID and probably even a few years prior to that as a city and as a a city, I know that there were many zip codes that were above the national average in terms of STD. So my question is, are we seeing that decrease for our young people and are we seeing it decrease because of COVID? Or, or is COVID having the opposite effect on those types of numbers? From my last I knew, and don't take this as 100% fact, but I'm pretty confident in this. What's been kind of amazing is our birth rate has been declining, but our STI rates are increasing. And it's been increasing every single year, regardless of zip code. And STIs, for some reason, those keep going up. Why that is, that's a really good question. Why even over COVID COVID times, STI rates are still going up. So I think there's definitely, there's a a need for education that's not happening somewhere. Um, And it's, this doesn't just fall on young people. People have sex at all ages. And um, I think the first thing that we can use is not being afraid of talking about sex. Sex is something that is all right to talk about. It's not something that um, to be ashamed about. Um, That's the first step is just to talk about sex because a lot of people have sex, um, but not everybody may know how to safely protect themselves when it comes to sex. And that's where if no one's even talking about it, then that conversation can't even happen anyways. So not being afraid to, to have that conversation. I, that's a really great, great question because I don't, I, I truly, it's amazing how the rates of STIs continuously go up, um, even though teen birth rate and just birth rate in general has been decreasing over the last few years. So it's an interesting thing that I think a lot of people are actually already looking at. Um, so, yeah. 
Can you tell us or our audience about the OU Physicians Clinic that you guys have? Yeah, so we have an OU uh, Physicians Clinic on site here at YST. Now, that clinic is specific to YST clients. So that means if there's a YST client of any program, so if it's being family counseling, if it's substance abuse, if it's our drop-in and street outreach program that works with uh, people experiencing homelessness, if it's our transitions program youth, if it's our shelter youth, anybody in YST services can access the OU clinic here on site. And so that OU clinic, um, they provide general medical care to young people. Um, and then um, when that young person sees a doctor, they can get prescriptions, they can get um, referred to other services like lab work, uh, x-rays, any other type of uh, referrals that they have. And then my team also works um, with in that program, helping young people access those um, services. So yeah, it's a YST specific thing, but it's definitely, we're trying to help out as much as we possibly can with getting young people seen for um, any medical issue. Okay. Okay. That's, that's good to know. Um, what is the most important thing our audience needs to know about health education and prevention? I think don't be afraid to learn yourself. So um, try to find opportunities to learn as much as you possibly can. Speak up for yourself. Um, going back to that self-advocacy piece, making sure to talk up for yourself and what you think is important. Don't be afraid to talk to your partner about things. So um, if you have a partner, make sure to talk about um, sexual sexual health relationship that you have with them. Don't be afraid to have those conversations. Be open and honest with them, I think is a really vital piece too in whatever relationship that they're in. And then don't be afraid to access uh, medical services at all. They're there to help you. They, they truly don't... Um, they want to hear what they want to hear. Like They want to hear what you want to say. You're not going to say something that's going to scare them. You're not going to say something that's going to off put them. They are truly there just to help you. If you don't speak up and say those things, then they can't help you out. That is important to know. All right, last question. What is the number one takeaway about your role at Youth Services? The, say that again, the number one what? Takeaway about your role at Youth Services. Number one takeaway um, about my role is I love working with people. I wish we could help even more people than what we do, but we're limited by the amount of staff that we have. So my biggest takeaway is everybody love each other. Everybody care about each other. Everybody don't be afraid to help each other out. It truly um, takes everybody um, to make things better. So be there for everybody. I love that. I love that. That is a takeaway I will use for the rest of my life is to love each other. <laughs> That is great. Thank you for being a wonderful partner, Kirk. And thank you for giving us this hour this morning. I know that there are many, many things that are calling for your attention, but the fact that you cared enough about us to share yourself and your role there at YST and also the wonderful services at YST, we don't take that for granted and we appreciate you. Thank you so much. I This has been a true... Uh, magical moment I told you this is like when you ask me what's the most memorable this is it right here <laughs>